Hello, and welcome to Film Unhinged. My name is John Jillens, and on today's episode, I am excited to share with you my review of the latest film by Andrew Nichol, titled Anon. Uh, at least I believe it's Anon. It could be pronounced another way. I've, the, the reason I'm thinking it's Anon is because it's supposed to be short for anonymous, so Anon sounds good. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to share with you my thoughts on that, which just came out this week on Netflix. And so uh, before we jump into that commentary, let me first say, if you have any suggestions on what to review in the coming weeks, you can please email me at filmmakerjohn, that's J-O-N, john, at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at filmunhinged, and please rate and review me on Apple iTunes. You can also find me on Stitcher and Google Play. And every rating and review really helps me uh, get this podcast out and, and talked about. So if you do that, I'd greatly appreciate it. Last night when I was chasing her, that's where it starts. What I see changes the stairs. Stretch. It's an optical illusion. Which later disappears from my record. And it doesn't end there. At this moment, I'm seeing train at the platform. A train that isn't there. Placing a moving image in real time. Who can hack a human being? How do we stop this? To find a hack cat, we hire one. What can I do for you? So, let me just jump into this review. And there will be a spoiler section, so I'm just going to talk primarily about some of my initial thoughts and feelings on it, and then we'll go into those spoilers. But let's first talk about who Andrew Nichol is, and I think he's a pretty remarkable filmmaker. He first came about, I believe, back in 1997 with the movie Gattaca, and man, what a film. I love Gattaca, and I had thought about actually doing a review on the movie Gattaca because of the way that they... he. He explores ideas on uh, genetic mutations versus uh, natural genetic genes and the reasons and and whys of why manipulation of such could could further an advancement in our race versus, you know, going against the natural occurrence that we have drawbacks uh, that occur within us naturally based off of, you know, hereditary misalignments, if you want to say. And the way that that film is constructed is fantastic. And I was just reading where he <laughs> he regretted writing the uh, Gattaca the way he did because it was written as a much more expensive film than they were originally allotting him money to do, to actually use and make that film. So originally he had hoped for $80 million, but they kind of scoffed at him saying, your first feature film, we're not going to give you $80 million. So they gave him $20 million. And... Honestly, when you watch it, it's a different type of sci-fi film. And, and I was talking to some friends about it today, and they were <laughs> one of them had actually mentioned where he is watching it with a group of his friends, and they all got bored and fell asleep because it was not exactly what they expected. And I love it because it's it's a, a thinking person's uh, sci-fi film. It's not necessarily an action film. It's not shoot 'em up or anything like that. So it it teases uh, kind of ideas that even something like Black Mirror really has been doing in the last few seasons. So honestly, and I think a lot of the films that Andrew Nichol does are very Black Mirror-ish. So if you're a fan of that, you're going to love a lot of his films. He also wrote uh, Truman Show, 
and he also wrote and directed In Time. It's a movie with Justin Timberlake and Amanda Seyfried, um, which I thought was fine. It, it Again, it had a great premise, but it just didn't really pay off quite, nothing quite like Gattaca. Gattaca, to me, is his his top-notch film, and it's very Citizen Kane-ish of him to start with such a fantastic film, but then never really to, to meet expectations on any of future films quite like he did on that first one. And Anon finds its way in that same kind of category of not being as great as his first one. I... I am partial to this film, again, because of who's directing it and who wrote it was Andrew Nichol. But in addition to that, I'm a huge Clive Owen fan. And uh, anything that he's in, I'm willing to really give a a shot and and test and see if it's something that I think is going to be up in the upper echelon of my favorite films for the year. And so I was already sold on watching it. Uh, Amanda Seyfried is another actress that I like to watch. Not only is she uh, pleasant to look at, I feel like she's proved herself in a lot of films where her range is more than just the the good looks of, of her standing there in the shot. She actually has some weight into her dramatic roles. And if you've seen her in films like, you know, Mean Girls, you're only getting the small portion of what she's capable of. I think she's a lot better than what that movie pre- presents. And so if Giving her uh, a chance in this film, I think, you know, and he's also had her in the movie In Time, so he kind of knows the range that she's available to, and this film just didn't have that much for her to do. I felt like the character that she played had some intricacies that could be interesting if we explored a little bit deeper, but I don't. I felt like a lot of things in this movie were very surfacey. Uh, the basic premise of Anon is Clive Owen's character is a detective and he is uh coming across a bunch of murders that are taking place by somebody who's anonymous who's not in the central database that everybody is plugged into they all have visual representations plugged into their eyes to be able to see who people are so it's like a bunch of heads up displays that are consistently running throughout your day as you walk down the street advertisements are thrown up on the seat on the buildings next to you um, onto your physical person you'll see what it's like to have a watch on your on your wrist if you want to try out the watch and see if it's something that you would be interested in buying so there's a lot of visual representation but i feel like it gets away from itself a little bit with that Anyway, he's trying to find this killer of all these these individuals, and he had come across this person, who's Amanda Seyfried, towards the very beginning, who is anonymous, who has no information or metadata attached to her person. And so she becomes embroiled in, in into this, this uh, uh, conspiracy of who's killing off these individuals who are also pretty shady. And, and so he, and he's very good at his role of this... Uh, weary and really just run down detective. And honestly, I felt it was really interesting to see him in this movie because he does look aged. He doesn't look quite like the, the Clive Owen that I'm used to. And I, I did enjoy him in this role and I feel like he brings a lot to every role he's in, but I felt like there was some things that were missing for him to really kind of pivot to make this a little bit more than your standard, uh, rum drum, uh, of a role. Um, overall, I felt like some of the directing was nice. I felt like the production was, was, uh, good looking. There was a lot of connections that it looked like it was trying to make to Gattaca, almost like a shared universe in, in a sense, because a lot of the vehicles that they drove and the way that they dressed really represented a lot that Gattaca had to offer. Um, 
and maybe it's just because I had Gattaca on my mind when I was thinking about it, just because I knew that it was some, from the same director. I felt like the acting was, was good. I didn't feel like the, the writing was fantastic. And it was kind of sad to see that because again, Andrew Nichol writes a lot of the, the movies that he does himself. Uh, and as he directs it, those scripts, I feel like there's just a little bit more expected and knowing that he wrote Truman show. I know that the, the specifics of that movie are so intricate to how well that story progresses that he's capable of doing that. And of course, you know, he's, he's a lot older at this point. I mean, Truman show and Gattaca were back in the nineties. And so when he was in his thirties making those type of films, now he's in his late fifties moving into his sixties. Right. And I guess this is a, a different type of expectation as well. It's a direct to Netflix original. And I, for the most part, I've seen a few Netflix originals that have really done well. Uh, this one, it just, it, there was just some things that were missing. And honestly, I got about 10, 15 minutes into the film and I almost wanted to stop watching. I thought, well, I gave it a worthy effort. That's whatever. You know, I, I, I was just going to, uh, uh, suck it up and say, you know what? Not all of them are great and stop watching. And honestly, I have the hardest time doing that. I feel like I need to give the movie it's, it's option to prove whether or not it's good. And so I finished it and I, I'm glad I did, but I don't think I could recommend this movie to anybody. Um, overall it was, it was just a okay experience and I'll get into more specifics when I get into spoilers, but like I said, uh, don't run out and, and try to watch this movie. Uh, but if you're interested and you're a Clive Owen fan and you're intrigued by the idea that this is another film by Andrew Nichol, like I was, I don't think you'll be super sorely disappointed. You'll just want to watch Gattaca again. So anyway, that's, uh, my list of specifics about what I can say generally about this film. Let's move into spoilers for this movie. Anon starting right now. So within this film, it's an interesting way that they present the, the specifics on how they are able to see things and the idea that they can utilize the peripheral vision of every character to show progress of what they're seeing at that time, what they've done, actions that they've committed, um, all because they are all connected to a, a internet source that is syncing everybody's information to this database. Um, the way that it's presented on screen as it goes into this interweaved uh, brainstorming session of uh, internet, it's it's kind of cool at first, but then it just kind of not, it's not as cool as it originally came across. I don't know. It presents itself in a, oh, all right, this is kind of intriguing. Let's see how far they'll go with this idea. But then it just gets to the same thing over and over and over again. And you just realize that as you are watching a bunch of people just sit in their chair and kind of stare off into space. And then all of a sudden, like a text message comes across the screen. Nobody's saying anything. It's just all written on the screen. Or sometimes it's just a cutaway to a video montage that we're now watching somebody's uh, past experience play as a video in front of us. It just doesn't carry the same weight anymore. Like it just feels <sighs> feels sluggish in its storytelling or sloppy or, or even lazy in its storytelling, because it just seems like there could be so much more maybe practiced with the way that the visuals come out and play. 
Um, I would say the most inventive and kind of fascinating option that they did present was when his uh, Clive Owen's eyes get hacked into by Amanda Seyfried and she starts to present different uh, scenarios in front of him uh, as far as like, you know, whether or not the hallway is on fire or whether or not he's uh, inside this this room with a uh, full of rats or uh, mice and it takes away that luster once you cut away and see that he's not. And then you start to think in your mind, well, there's so many different random opportunities for you to kind of gauge whether these things are real or not. I mean, dragging your feet across the floor would tell you whether or not there's a a rat and there's nothing in this universe that really tells us that, you know, this whole hack into his eyes isn't, gives him the, uh, the option to feel or, or sense in other faculties. It just seems to, it's a, a peripheral thing. And so there's a lot of, well, why don't you do this thinking go going through this entire film? Um, in fact, with all the murders that we see take place, there's a lot of the, well, if we're looking through the killer's eyes and you notice that there's a gun coming to your head, why wouldn't you just whack it away with your hand? I mean, I I don't know. That that was my initial thought was these people are unassumingly standing here thinking they can't do anything. But if the killer's legitimately right in front of you, putting a gun to your head, reach up and grab the gun and fight back. But a lot of them don't. I don't know if this would, you know, this is a generation of of people in this film that probably accustomed to the way that these eyes have been working for a while. So you would think that this would be an option that they would probably rely on because knowing that they have the ability to now see through somebody else's sets of eyes. Why not? I don't know. Sorry if I I ran off on that tangent for a little bit, but it just didn't make sense to me. And so therefore in the film, I I felt like this was a lazy way of pivoting the story on this, this set of, uh, actions or reactions or lack of reactions, I guess. Um, I felt like the relationship in it was a little off. They were trying to pivot this, this position of his interaction with Anon, who is, um, I believe to be, uh, Amanda Seyfried because there's later on, we find out it's a person who's actually working at the station, who is the man pulling the trigger on all these people. But Anon is the one he's communicating with, with her, specifically at least that's how i read it there's a possibility it could have been him but i read it as her because in all their interactions they're very much aware of their communication and it's not ever pivoted like it was him making the uh uh, connection with let me rephrase that it's not the guy at the precinct who is behind all of it it never makes us think that he's the one that's communicating with Clive Owen's character. It makes us think that she is. And she plays off that idea and never makes a point to say, this is not me. If that makes sense. In addition to her being this, this character in his life. And he obviously sits himself up into situations where she can be introduced and help him out with erasing things. They then to play with this, this uh, romance between the two. And it never comes across as, as genuine it feels forced and it feels like, oh, we need to throw in some romantic scene. And so they decide that this is what we're going to push towards. And it, and it happens. And towards the end, even there's, there's a very lack of, of connection or chemistry between the two. And I, you know, if they're playing it up to be, they got caught up in the moment or, you know, 
I don't know if that's even the element that they were going for, because for him, I could see that we've seen him in a relationship and how he lets his work in interfere with his relationships. But we never see that with her. We never get any good enough background for her. Everything's super cloudy. She only allows us to see what she wants us to see. And she even says that she doesn't hide things. She only see lets us see what she wants us to see, or she doesn't want people to, to see specific parts of her life, which is another way of just saying, I'm hiding things from you. But if we were given a little bit more of a background, some kind of history of who she was and why she's doing what she's doing. Otherwise, like it just feels like she's this anarchist who decides that she wants to help in a Robin Hood sort of way, but doesn't give us that motive of why, why is she doing this? It's all selfish motivations that I can tell with the appeal of, yeah, I can make a quick buck on this. So I'll, I'll turn this around and help people with this specifically, but it's never clear why. And honestly, I, I was listening to another podcast that was talking specifically about this film. And I remember them talking about how this idea really could have just truly played out as a black mirror episode. And I feel like it has that black mirror potential to be more or less a 40 to 50 minute episode. Whereas this movie was an hour 40 and I don't feel like it justified every minute that it was going. Um, there was a lot of dry moments that we were talking with, uh, specifically the, the cops when they're in there, um, at their precinct and we see them sitting around at this, this X shaped table. It just feels like some of the lines were not delivered as with as much gusto as you would hope. Uh, it, maybe they took themselves a little bit too seriously and it just didn't come across exciting uh, or, or life altering, changing. Like, I don't know. Like I was expecting something else. I expecting maybe the Gattaca vibe, you know, like this is a, an abstract idea that if we put this technology into life, what would life really be like? And I never sat down during the film and thought, wow, that would be pretty crazy if my eyes did this because it just seemed like it was not thought through enough to say that this was a justifiably entertaining thought. And what's amazing about Andrew Nichol is that he's thought about some of the craziest and most fantastic science fiction theories and ideas that we've seen on film. Specifically, even summed up in just two films, both Beatica and Truman Show. Even the connection that we have within his movies of Gattaca in time and good kill make it very personal for us. We, we experience it on us on a deeper level because with Gattaca, we feel it uh, hit us. Like what if I was born with these setbacks and everybody else who was born around me was produced to excel as opposed to me where I take advantage of what I'm given, but I also have uh, hereditary setbacks just because that's part of my genetic code that I'm constantly having to fight against where everybody else was predisposed to, to be awesome. And then you have somebody like in time where you're being paid with lifetime, basically, uh, any, any amount of money you would normally earn from a job, you're paid with more time to live. And once you run out of your time, you you die. And the, mo- the most wealthy people there all have more time on their hands and everybody's kind of kept in a, in a loop after they hit the age of 20 or 25, they stay at that, that visual age, but then progress through life now having to earn time to maintain their lifestyle or life progress. Um, so again, it's a very personal effect. What would it be like to run out of time that you're constantly striving to live longer just 
to make it. Um, then you have good kill where you're questioning the idea of your job is set as a drone operator and you don't realize the consequences that are available to you as you are sitting around, you know, with a video game like experience, but you're killing thousands and thousands of people. There's a very emotional connection that you create from that film that makes it much more interesting to you. And like I said, those three films all have that core connection where this one didn't. It had a very interesting concept, but nothing really truly revolutionary or or emotionally charged. So overall, I would say that, like I said in in my general notes, I thought it was a fine movie. I didn't think it was horrible. It's it's definitely not one that I feel like I could recommend, but I definitely wanted to do an episode on because I thought people are going to be interested. It's a new film on Netflix and maybe they'll want to try it and check it out and see what my thoughts were on it. And so overall, like I said, it's just fine. Don't, don't hurry to watch it, but if you have a lot of time to spare, why not throw it on and see a good film with uh, Clive Owen in it? Um, And if you don't want to spend the time on this film with Clive Owen, you should definitely check out his, his back filmography, you know, something like children of men closer all those films that he's in, he's got some great ones in his uh, filmography. So definitely check that out and try uh, Amanda Seyfried in some of her other films too. One that she was in alpha dog. That's a great film. Really enjoyed that one. So anyway, with that, we'll close. If you have any suggestions for future reviews, please email me at filmmaker, John, that's J O N John at gmail.com. You, so you can also follow me on Instagram at film unhinged and please rate and review me on Apple iTunes. You can also find me on stitcher and Google play. And, uh, I appreciate you listening. Please tell your friends about this podcast and, and any feedback would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again and have a great week. <laughs>